it wasn't until I graduated from high school when I was 18 that I actually had this kind of mental identity breakdown where mm-hmm. I really realized that I wasn't being my authentic self and that I actually didn't even know what my authentic self was. That high school had kind of created this whole image of who I was that once I graduated, that image cracked or started cracking and I was just flooded with anxiety. You know, just who am I? What the hell is going on? <laughs> what do I really want? Who, who am I outside of this bubble that was created? family. This is your host, Megan February, and I am so excited to have you here at our For Women Who Roar podcast. This movement is all about elevating women's voices, stories, and art. So if you are a storyteller, then you are an advocate. And if you are a listener, you're also an advocate. And if you are a woman who roars, then you belong here. Welcome. Hey everybody, I am here with Karina. I'm so excited to be introducing you to this amazing woman. Um, She is a singer, a yoga teacher, an advocate for women. Um, So yeah, here we are on this first For Women Who Roar podcast. (laughs) So exciting. (laughs) It's great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, especially for your first first one. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to have you. I was I was really pumped when I started thinking through different people I wanted to introduce our listeners to. Mm-hmm. You were one of the first people that came to my mind. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for voice. I can mm-hmm. see why I, voice is definitely a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that. I'm so excited. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So we're going to start out with, like, the most basic question in the whole world. And it's like, who are you? (laughs) Mm, Basic and deep, though. That's very (laughs) Who am I in this this world right now, Mm -hmm. in this moment? I mean, what I do is I teach yoga and I also actually mentor young girls. So I'm, you're saying an advocate for women um, and also specifically younger women. I'm trying to target middle school age. So um, women, young women who are going through that puberty transition. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of my favorite things to do is to work with that age group. Uh, They're really struggling right now. You probably, if you know anyone that age, you know that. There's a lot of anxiety, depression, panic attacks, like really intense uh, emotional, mental issues going on. Mm -hmm. 
And so I like to work with them to provide them mindfulness tools, like kind of spiritual ideas Mm -hmm. so that they have um, the bigger perspective to their life and what's happening to them right now in their life. And then I also do games like improv and and voice and singing, get them singing songs, get them playing with each other, um, get them connected to their body. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's another, so teaching yoga, doing mentoring for young girls. And then I do this voice work, which right now, which is really a combination of my theater background Mm -hmm. because I studied theater in school. And um, also have been a singer and a performer with more of this psychological work that I've done of like understanding our deeper fears of being seen, being really seen for who we are in our different feelings, you know, these intense feelings that we can have, this vulnerability that we can have. <clears throat> and that, that when we can combine performance, art, with this psychological unraveling and showing who we are, that a, a transformative experience can happen. Um, I think a transformative experience can happen between audience and performer when the performer is accessing their psychological truth, mm-hmm. like showing who they really are, that it transforms the audience. Mm-hmm. And that through the audience transforming, it transforms the performer mm-hmm. as well. So there's this symbiotic kind of thing going on that's really powerful, really magical. It's actually shamanistic. It goes all the way mm-hmm. back to shamanism. Like that's where theater originated from was this shaman. Oh, the wow. shaman it would come in front of the tribe and kind of perform for yeah. the tribe and show the tribe itself. And then through the tribe through the people seeing themselves through the shaman, it was like this transformational experience. So I'm, I'm just, I've seen it happen. And it's, so that's, that's what I really love doing with people is getting them in front of an audience, performing their truth and uh, helping them to break through the barriers that keep them from doing that. Mm -hmm. Wow. That sounds so incredibly terrifying (laughs) and um such important work I'm thinking about myself when I was in middle school and how amazing it would have been to work with somebody right like you I um I recorded my uh, first episode and it was just me talking and introducing myself and one of the things I shared was how I didn't feel like I had a voice growing up, you know, and I would, or at least not the kind that you could really share with people. At least there was only one dimension of that voice. You could have the light side, but what do I do with all of the darkness, all of the feeling? Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about, it just feels so um, empowering and like it gives permission Mm -hmm. that I think so many Young women don't feel like they have, but just women today. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that's it's amazing what can come forward when that space is provided, Mm -hmm. you know, but but that when that space isn't available, Mm -hmm. then the voice just you just stay locked in and you just think that you're the only one or that your your experience isn't valuable or it's you're weird. 
you know, you're this weird, different person Mm -hmm. when really when we have that safe space, we can see, oh, wow, her vulnerability is is my, I have that fear too. Mm -hmm. And then through that, yeah, it's really healing. And I do that, I do that work not only with the young girls, but I also now also lead woman's circles Mm -hmm. as well. So it's a similar, it's a similar holding of space, Mm -hmm. but um, just different age ages because I feel yeah now more than ever I feel like women really are ready mm-hmm. to there's a lot of hunger for that oh yeah still a lot of fear but it seems like there's a, a fire now mm-hmm. that's happening yeah most definitely I think the energy of women are really sinking up mm-hmm. and as much um, mute has been put on women's voices for so long it's like the awareness around it is hyped, you know, mm-hmm. and instead of shutting us up, it's just like handing us a mic for it. Mm-hmm. And we're all like, go girl, go girl, go girl. Totally. You know? And just passing that mic around. And it's been a really powerful thing to witness. And when I launched uh, for women who wore, it was a lot because of that very, even the name itself was holding um, that space for a new, like where we were, and that the mm-hmm. society where we are right now as women was ready for that kind of name. Totally. Uh, because the name in itself is just like, you got this. Yep. Share your truth. Let's do this thing. Yep. No need to be silent. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's too partly why I was targeting the younger women is because in doing my own self-reflection, similar to what you were saying uh, about like, you know, I didn't have that at that age. And so when I was doing my own reflection, it's like, okay, if I really want to create change in this world, like thinking about the day that I die, right? If Mm -hmm. I can look back at my life and say, okay, you know, what kind of impact did I make? I feel like it's to the young people that, that that for me, where I want to look because because yes, I, you know, and I want to work with older women as well and all kinds of different women. But if I really want to see a big impact, a big change to a collective, I think it's really to the young people that that's where it, it can start and it can, it can spring out. Like the younger that you get your hands on this kind of information and this kind of space and reflection of yourself, the younger you can get your hands on it, the more years you have as a person to make a big impact in the way you live. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was my inspiration of like, okay, I need to get to these young people and they're freaking ready for it. Mm -hmm. You know, they're hungry for it and they, they're so inspiring. I think there's also this misconception that we have around young people that they can't handle the truth Mm. or they're too young and we don't want to taint them. We don't, oh my gosh. (laughs) they know everything (laughs) they know you know they have their especially with internet it's like they are not protected from the harshness of this reality and so to just be real with them and to to empower them just you're saying it's really inspiring do you have any stories that come to mind uh, with any of the young women you've worked with that have just kind of reminded you this is why I do this work oh yes oh my gosh so I have this one um this one young girl who I see I see her one-on-one 
Um, and she had just started school. So school just started right last month. And she was talking to me about the stress and the anxiety around going into school, people liking her, you know, what is she going to wear, all those kinds of things. So I told her, I said, okay, why don't you just write down your whole experience? Why don't you just do a free write? Just journal your whole experience, all the thoughts that you were having, your whole experience of your first day of school. So she took some time. She, she wrote it out. And then I said, okay, now read it out loud to me. So she, she read it out loud. And I said, okay, we're going to turn this into a song. So we looked through the lines and we took out little pieces of it that we liked. And then we constructed a whole song, a verse and chorus verse from what she wrote. And she has a, she has a really great voice, really mm-hmm. amazing voice. And I knew that, I knew that that was, you know, something that she, she, um, she loved to do. So, and it took only 15, 20 minutes. I mean, it was such a quick process and she came up with this beautiful melody for it. And by the end of the session, she's singing mm-hmm. and expressing this song and this, this experience of mm-hmm. her life. Mm-hmm. And what I saw in her body and in her sense of herself completely shifted. It shifted from uh, right this kind mm-hmm. of caving in on herself into this, oh my gosh, my experience can be turned into art. Like mm-hmm. I can be empowered by my experience. Mm-hmm. I can make value out of my experience rather than this experience is just happening to me, happening to me. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Into, oh my gosh, this is happening to me. And I can create from that. Mm-hmm. So it was like getting her back in touch with how she can create for herself, which is, I think the biggest thing that young people are disconnected from is their own innate power because we protect them so much now with social media and the internet as well too that they're not running and climbing up trees and scraping their knees and falling down they're not they're not they get bored they go right to their phone rather than writing a song or creating a dance piece or painting or drawing or whatever instead of doing these artistic things that come from being bored, right? That now when they get bored, they just go to their phone and then they don't get access to their innate power to create. Mm -hmm. And when they don't have that connection to their innate power to create, I think that's what leads to anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. insecurity, really intense insecurity, you know, that panic attack feeling. It's like, because you're not in access of your own power to create. So, of course, you're going to feel helpless. You're going to feel hopeless. You're going to feel like you're nothing. You're worthless, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So that was a really empowering experience. And her mom, you know, emailed me the next day and was like, you know, she's been singing her song. I see a really big shift in her. This is really amazing what you, what, whatever you guys did there. Like something mm-hmm. has shifted. And so that's, wow. Yeah. That's just, those are the moments. That's so amazing. Yeah. Wow. I wish I could see like a before shot or, you know, experience of her and then a post experience. Yeah. It sounds like it's just uh, a way to really embody, you know, all that you're feeling. And Mm -hmm. because I think it's that when we, when we kind of hold everything in and suppress it, 
you know, it can feel so lonely, which yeah. I think is what, you know, aids that depression and anxiety that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So to begin to get it out and to step into a confidence of your own voice and creative creativity, um, yeah, you're able to embody your own truth and kind of be like, this is who I am. Yep. Boom. Yep. <laughs> Just, yeah. When, when do they have access to that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I love that you're working with young kids. That's so cool. So what would you say for young Karina? Mm. <laughs> young Karina. So this girl's how old that you just worked with that you just... Uh, she's four, she's 14. Yeah, so she's tell a freshman. Me, tell me about 14-year-old Karina. Um, what was she learning about her voice mm, at that age? Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely a time of decision-making, um, you know, with what kind of friends you want to have, whether you're going to get into drugs, like sex also is a huge thing at that age. So I feel like my voice, I actually, I had a good, I had a, um, I had a good memory come up actually from middle school when I feel like my voice, I, I stood up against the cool girl. So there was like the coolest girl in our grade. And she was bullying. I mean, she was talking, talking bad about people behind their back and all that stuff. And I remember it so vividly in the hallway. I just stood up to her, to her face. And I was like, you know, I know what you're doing. Like you're, you know, you talked about this person, whatever. And I was like, and it's not cool. And like, you got to stop or some, and, and it was a group of people and we were all, they were all kind of there watching and it really shifted the paradigm of the social, like, you know, all the different status thing, yeah. whatever. The fact that I stood up to her was like a really big deal. And yeah. And I feel like I have, I've had that throughout my life, this strong truth seeking and seeing something that feels off and just feeling like I intuitive, there's this intuitive punch in me. That's like, I need to speak out. Even in my family, I'm kind of that person. I'm like, Hey, something is not right here and speaking out. But I'd say in high school, in high school, if I had like a boyfriend around when I was 14, 15, and he was a senior and I was a sophomore and it wasn't like a, a bad relationship, but I feel like I lost my voice in some ways in that, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, just being, and sex too, to mm-hmm. just be totally honest and transparent. Like I had sex when I was pretty young. I had sex when I was 15 and I feel like that also kind of shook my um, integrity because I don't think I was, I I think I knew that I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, um, that because I did it, even though I knew I wasn't ready, it created this kind of distrust in my own voice and my own ability to, to stand up for myself and to, to, um, so yeah. So I, so interesting, you know, from middle school to high school, that shift, um, in a more subtle way. I mean, I don't think I was a complete pushover or like, you know, I had my voice in other ways, but, um, it wasn't until 
I graduated from high school and I was 18 that I actually had this kind of mental identity breakdown where mm-hmm. I really realized that I wasn't being my authentic self and that I actually didn't even know what my authentic self was. That high school had kind of created this whole image of who I was that once I graduated, that image cracked or started cracking and I was just flooded with anxiety. You know, just who am I? What the hell is going on? <laughs> what do I really want? Who, who am I outside of this bubble that was created in high school? And that's really when I think my journey to my true voice really started, was more out of high school after graduation and after that break, that crack. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Everything, I feel like everything that is transformation begins with a crack. Totally. That's how you get the light in. You know that song, right? Yeah, that's such a good song. Isn't there a Rumi poem? I think that oh, yeah. said something about that as well. Like that the where the cracks are, the light and comes how through. The light gets in. That's how the light gets in. Yeah, the yeah. cracks. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That is. That's how the light. That's how transformation happens. Is from usually crisis, some kind of crisis. Mm-hmm. It's not breakdown. It's breakthrough, right? Yep. Even though it might feel like a breakdown, it's really the. Uh, it kind of helps us really move through and over the impossible places. It kind of gets us out of that stuckness. I've found like the breaking mm-hmm. anytime we're really in a stuck place, kind of unmovable, the break kind of allows us to push through yep. to the other side of maybe falsity into authenticity of who we are. Yep. Totally. That's rad. So, I love this story of young Karina. How would you work with yourself back then? Like say um, that high school experience you were having. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of voice work and creative work would you have prompted in yourself? Yeah, great question. Because that's a big part of why is I wish that I had someone in my life at that time who I could go to with these kinds of questions. Hey, I'm thinking about having sex. What do you think? You know, mm-hmm. I didn't I couldn't do that with my mom. I couldn't do that with my sisters or whatever. I was like, I needed someone who was an adult but who wasn't my teacher, wasn't my parent. I would so something I really love to do with the girls is I have them practice. So I get them to practice on each other. I said, "Let's have this conversation. Let's practice it right now in the moment." So I'll be your boyfriend. And I want you to just share how you're feeling right now with your boyfriend or with your friend or whatever. And they'll practice it in the moment. And then we'll reflect, how was that for you? Did it feel clear? How did you, did you feel scared? Did you feel empowered? You know, and we kind of process it um, together. So that's something I definitely would have done with young Karina. Mm -hmm. I've been like, okay, well, and, and just asking those questions, like, what is it that you're really wanting? You know, why are you feeling like you want to have sex? Where is that coming from? Do you feel that in your body? Or is that just pressure, you know, mm-hmm. from friends you want to fit in? Or just asking those questions and then getting the, getting her to answer. Mm-hmm. It's a huge thing, you know, not just giving her the answer. 
like, mm-hmm. oh, you're too young to have sex. You shouldn't have sex, right? Yeah. No, it's like letting her discover it for herself is so much more empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it works really well to do it in the moment because it also can take the girls out of the, out of the excuses mm-hmm. and into actually facing their fear. Facing the conversation, you know, they can stay in the drama of it. Oh, but this, it's like okay, well, let's just let's just pin it down right now and actually face it. And then usually when they do that, they are relieved. They're less stressed out. They're less anxious. Um, so that's something I I would do with her, and I would just play with her and sing with her and. Let her know how awesome she is. That's a huge part of what I do too, is just reflecting like, you are so amazing. You are really intelligent. You're emotionally intuitive. You know, you know, right? You you know yourself. There's this whole, they can feel oh, crazy, but like to reflect back, like you got this girl, like you're good and I'm here. No, I'm here for you, and I'm going to be a continuous support for you no matter what. No, whether you have sex, whether you don't have sex, no, we're going to work through it together. Mm, so important to kind of teach someone to be an advocate for themselves, but also to know, like, you have an advocate in me. And I think as a young woman, it's really hard to trust that you have that safe space in yourself and in anyone else that isn't going to just tell you what to do, right? Right. Because, I mean, that is such a crucial time to learn your autonomy and to learn to trust your voice so you can get some serious uh, bruises Mm. on your confidence at that time if people don't kind of show that they trust you and your intuition. Yep. Yep. And just that time to really reflect on what is it that you actually want. Like, what's running the show right now? Mm. Is it your actual authentic desire or is it fear? You know, is it these stories you have? And, and those moments too are really inspiring to Mm -hmm. see that switch in their own mind of, Oh, you're right. I never thought about that. Like, no, I'm totally just doing this because all my friends are doing it. We've, I just had a girl's group the other week and we were talking about drugs. We were talking about weed and we were talking about alcohol And, you know, I have a very, just, I'm very open with them. I'm creating that safe space to talk about these topics. I'm like, yep, this is what's going on. And even just talking about, you know, the alcohol or, or like wanting to experiment, it's like, right, that's totally, there can be a very authentic curiosity Mm -hmm. and to just name it that Mm -hmm. versus like, oh, I want to drink now. I want to party now. Or versus I don't want to, you know, I'm that's bad and to just like no I'm actually just curious of what this would feel like for myself it was so nice to differentiate that so that they're clear on it in their own mind and their own integrity rather than just getting confused and getting swept up totally I mean I think curiosity is the uh, key to breaking through shame because yes right shame is kind of in the secret spaces it's the it's the place like where you can't ask questions. Yep. And you know, it's it's kind of the dark room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so curiosity says, "Hey, let's see. Let's let's be open. Let's mm-hmm. there's no maybe there's not an answer, maybe there is, but let's let's kind of remove all judgments." Yep. 
and let's just be curious about this. I think it is really the the key to yeah. breaking through shame. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that young young self is where so much formation with that shame story is produced. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah, and being able to break that at its root. Otherwise, you got to go backwards in adulthood and you're like, holy hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And that's why it can be hard with adults because it's a lot of deep digging Mm -hmm. to find that root because you've been living in that paradigm and that shame Mm -hmm. and that fear and that loop in your own mental structure Mm -hmm. for so long that to unwire that can take a lot of effort, a lot of discipline Mm -hmm. for the adult. But for young people to be able to pattern them at a younger age in these in these more healthy patterns of connection to themselves, connection to their choice, decision making, all the, to sex, to drugs, to whatever, those mm-hmm. to, to create a more open, bring it into the light. Let's talk it through. It's okay. Your mm-hmm. experience is okay. If you want to have sex, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you want to experiment with what alcohol feels like it's okay you know like it's not this bad thing you know not creating the fear story Mm -hmm. can can actually empower that I think like I mean I'm such an advocate for this and maybe you know people will not agree and that's totally fine but I'm such an advocate that if you bring it to the open you annihilate the shame that young people are going to make way more healthy decisions they're going to make empowering decisions there's going to be way less abuse of alcohol abuse of drugs abuse of sex you know be when it's out in the open because I know for me because there was so much shame around it and I was also brought up with a lot of religious shame around sex you know there's so much shame around it it almost felt like it just felt like I was completely alone in the dark and it almost felt like the only way out was to just do it just have sex just get it over with so that you don't have to be alone in this fear anymore Mm -hmm. so I just did it you know without much thought but if I could go back in time you know as me now if I could go back and be like I would now having so much more of a healthy understanding of sex it would be like I'm not ready for this. I don't want to do this. I'm not actually like, I don't even, yeah, I don't even want to. But I didn't even have access to that at all because it was just completely covered in shame. Wow. And you said a lot of that probably was due to the religious upbringing. Yeah. So um, I have a lot of experiences with that too. You know, it was kind of rooted in the purity culture as Mm -hmm. well. Uh, I don't know if that was your background. And with that, I, for me, I found, well, I'm going to, I want to like write a whole book on it, but I found my way of dissociating through that kind of uh, loss of voice, like that it kind of gave me an understanding around the good and bad object within myself. Does that make sense? So like the sin nature, the good nature, all that kind of stuff, I kind of displaced the parts of myself that I didn't understand that felt lost in trauma Mm. and I blamed it on sin nature and then I used that good nature 
to kind of help me live out of this other space, this uh, light side. So I was like super Christian-y girl. Uh And I think it helped me manage and deal uh, out of a mannequin space that, that, you know, wasn't real. Right. Does that make sense? So I would go home and be like this sad, broken person, but in front of the religious groups and leading these religious groups, I was like all put together. And I think like voice in that kind of culture, especially around sex, I mean, it's like you can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Don't even mention it. There was so much shame and so much unspoken. So then you bring in your desire for attention or affection or intimacy or you bring in abuse that's all attached any any aspect of that and it's an unspeakable subject mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so do you think that is some of what prompted you really with this whole thing of voice that's a, that's a really <laughs> good <laughs> question but yeah but so so my my religious background is pretty intense because I was, my parents were actually, um, in the unification church, which, uh, they were called the Moonies in the sixties and seventies. And it was, so they actually had an arranged marriage. So Reverend Moon was the leader of the church. He was, he says that he was the next Messiah. So he had this whole following that happened all over the world. And he came up with a theology that basically said, that the fall of man was a sexual fall. So Adam and Eve had sex, and that's why there was the sin, the original sin was sex. And so his way to reverse the fall of man was by having these mass marriages where he picked who you married. So he selected couples together, and then through that match, your children would be born without original sin. And so your children would be these blessed children, these children who were of a pure nature, unless those children had sex before they were matched. So if those children had sex before they were matched, then they would be a fallen child. So my parents did, you know, they had an arranged marriage by Reverend Moon. They didn't know each other before they got matched. And they had five kids and... They left the church when I was around 10 years old. So I was, you know, indoctrinated with this, this idea as a young person, but I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't in my adolescence yet. So I didn't really have a a big sense of myself as an individual quite, um, you know, as, as a rebellious individual while I was in the church. So it was just a, an interesting time for me to transition out of the church around 10 years old so that even when I was in high school dating a boy who was open to having sex with me, I didn't even really think about the church. It was much more subconscious. It was more in my unconscious body that there was this shame around having sex. So once we did have sex, it opened up this whole explosion of fear in me from my childhood. So, so that, yeah. And I, and I always have been a very expressive child. Like I was always very expressive, always singing, always dancing and, and emoting. Mm. I was very emotive. And so when this happened, when this, I had sex and then 
I was very, very, very emotional and very expressive about it with my family. I mean, with my mom, I would come home and I would just cry, hysterically crying, saying over and over, I'm a horrible person. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person. And my mom was just like, you're not a bad, what are you talking? And I didn't tell her that I had sex because I was so ashamed of that. But, um, but yeah, so, so I feel like I was lucky in a lot of ways that I actually was able to emote, um, because I know for, for other people, that's, that's challenging to express, to, to show your feelings. And so I was, you know, I had the comfort from my mom and I had my family kind of supporting me, but, um, but it's interesting to reflect on that and to kind of piece the puzzle together because I feel like in many ways that's now what I'm doing is I'm helping people emote what has been shut down, what has been blocked off and to find the root cause of where that's coming from. Um, and because emoting has just been a gift of mine since I was little to just express that, that I find it easy to be around people and to just tell them to, you know, to, to support them in screaming, to support them in crying, to support them in pounding the pillow in, you know, making the goblin sounds, the monsters, you know, to just get them emoting all those different parts of ourselves. And because I think that's what actually helped me move through that shame and that fear and that trauma that happened Mm -hmm. to me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard of that. uh, I've never heard of that religious movement. It's a thing. You can look it up online. If you look up Reverend Moon, Mass Mm -hmm. Marriages, there's pictures. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to check it out. It's so interesting. I would love to just have a whole conversation with you just about that because it's really interesting. Cool. Um, I was curious. The one question that I always ask uh, people is, and you might have even already said it, but I'm curious. um, Tell us about a time that has made you roar. Well, I was, I, I was reflecting on this question, um, because I believe that it's important to roar a lot. And at the same time, it's important to know when and where to roar. Because I do think that sometimes when we roar out onto other people, it can be harmful. It can be, you know, too much and and it can traumatize people when you, I mean, you know, what we're saying, roar, there's many different, you know, ways to describe roaring. But something that I started doing, when I started doing really deep therapy work on with my therapist, she told me to have a telephone book under my bed that whenever I was feeling like I needed to roar, right, feeling upset, feeling stuck, feeling like full of something, she said, I want you to pull the telephone book out and I want you to just scream and rip, like rip the pages out and scream. And I had a lot of resistance to doing that as so many people, you know, I work with people on this. It's like, there's so much resistance to actually expressing, but when I would work through the resistance and just scream and, and pull and rip, it was amazing how much the energy would move. And then I would feel feel back like in my body, in my power, like, and, and 
almost joyful, right? I would become joyful rather than this stuck, rigid, angry tightness that I would feel in my body. So I, so I've roared a lot in that way, like punching my bed, you know, screaming, uh, kickbox, you know, boxing things and stuff and really letting out my voice in these big ways anytime I'm feeling angry or feeling upset about something. And then from that space of allowing myself to roar, allowing myself to get that guttural place that actually wants to kill. It's like a kill energy. You know, it's this like, ah, I'm so, like, it's the, it's the FU energy, right? To get that out fully and then to go into the conversation. I would be able to go into the conversation with the person with so much more clarity, so much more, you know, if I'm having an issue with a partner or with a friend or with a family member or whatever, if I let myself roar consciously in a safe way with the pages, with the pillow, with the bed, with whatever, and then go and have the conversation, the conversation would usually go so much better, right? And we would actually, it'd actually be coming from a joyful, clear fully embodied place rather than from the reactive tight, like I'm going to kill you Mm -hmm. (laughs) energy. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one thing that I've kind of thought about of roaring is that I actually think that if people could consciously roar, there could be safe places for people to break plates and bowls and to just scream and to let out their rage in a safe, contained, conscious, and lovingly supportive way, we could have so many better healing conversations, right? And so that's, yeah, so that's my perspective on roaring is that, is that the reason it's, this is good. So this is how I piece it together. It's like the reason that roaring was stopped is in some, or the we, the reason that there can be so much fear around roaring is that when we have repressed our roar for so long and have, have so much shame around our own anger and rage and just the desire to kill, we have so much shame around those feelings in our body and we don't let them out they come out in really distorted ways that are really not nice and really cause harm to other people. So I am a complete believer that those feelings are not bad. There is nothing wrong with rage, that it is important to feel your anger and to feel that place that could kill, that power in your body that could destroy. It's important to feel that and it's it's empowering to feel that. And that energy, when put directly out onto another human being in a, in a unconscious way is the violence that we see in the world Mm -hmm. is the abuse is the sexual assault is all these nasty, weird, distorted shit that's happening out there is because it's been so shamed. It's been so neglected. It's been so shut down into the basement that it comes out in these messed up ways. So if we can create more safe space for people to roar and to let those feelings come out on the pillow, on the bed, with the bat, you know, with 
the bat on the ground, you know, not on a person, like, (laughs) you know, consciously out in these ways and we bring it into the light. That's to me how there can be this really powerful transformation in our collective Mm -hmm. so that we can actually have conversations with each other from our hearts. That's really moving. Um, what would you say are, I know you mentioned a few practices, but what are for our listeners some ways that they can begin to put into practice these, these expressions of getting, especially because especially most of our uh, listeners are adult women. Mm-hmm. So especially with their, their background, their trauma, their repressed voice, what activities would you invite them to today? Yes. Great place to do this is in your car, you know, turning on the music, turning on a song really loud and scream, I mean, screaming, you know, you can just scream. You could scream the lyrics if you know the lyrics, but really letting it out in Mm -hmm. a big way. And the car is a nice one, especially if you have family or roommates and stuff at home. Or if you live in an apartment building, you can feel, you know, self-conscious about being that loud. But really using, and it's okay to swear on here. I oh, slipped yeah. out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm in my, like, whatever. No. It's, it's recorded. Oh, God. But, uh. yeah, like, saying fuck you and really screaming fu- the fuck yous can be really releasing. Um, and I have a bat, I have a plastic bat and I'll just pile up some pillows and I'll just hit the pillows with the bat and scream, fuck you, fuck you, or whatever other words come out that feel satisfying The you know, the telephone book thing. But if something you have, like an object that you can have, whether it's a pillow or your couch, your, your bed, something to actually hit and have some resistance to, mm-hmm can be really helpful even just doing a kickboxing class and really trying to vocalize when you punch so it's the ha like ha wah, really letting this more aggressive sounds come out can be really healing and then also I think using I mean obviously having a therapist or counselor if you have some really deep trauma that you are wanting to face and work through having somebody there to hold space for you very important. And if you have a counselor or maybe you have a really close friend who you feel comfortable doing this with, just like I was saying, what I do with the young girls is role playing. So like, I want you to be my partner who I'm pissed at, or, you know, I want you to be this person who assaulted me or whatever. And I'm just going to let it out on you. Um, and also sometimes not even using English, but using gibberish. It's just being like, you know, just all this, this fake, fake language can make it like less scary because uh, it feels more like a game. But it also you can really access a lot of authentic emotion. But yeah, getting, getting, I call it like getting the junk out of the trunk. Just you got to get that stuff out through your, through your throat, through your voice. Um, and then it's amazing how blissful you can feel afterwards. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is, is there a um, visceral or spiritual or emotional response that people typically have? Or do people have all kinds of different responses? Oh, yeah, all kinds of different, different stuff. And 
but most of the time there can be this laughter that can come, you know, this laughter and just because something that you've been sitting on for years and years, all of a sudden you allow yourself to just destroy and you're like, oh my God, that's not even so big of a, it's not, it doesn't even feel as big anymore. It just feels like, oh, fuck him, you know, or fuck her. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when we don't let ourselves have that emotion come out, we can hold these resentments and, and who's suffering, right? You're the one holding this ball of shit in your body, in your emotional body. You're the one who's hold like who has to hold that in your psyche for that long. So letting it out. And again, it's no one's fault. It's, I mean, this culture, I mean, we, we shame anger. I mean, we have such an unhealthy relationship with anger. It's so unfortunate, but it makes complete sense because unconscious anger is dangerous, is scary. But the whole reason it's become unconscious is because it's been shamed mm-hmm. so much. So if anger was instead of shame, was say, oh, you're feeling angry. Why don't you go to your room and punch the pillow and scream it out? And then why don't you come back to dinner and tell us how you really feel, tell us what's going on? Mm-hmm. Rather than you are not allowed to feel anger. Anger is not acceptable at this dinner table. And you go to your room, right? It's such a different, mm-hmm. so that's what I, that's what this is all about, is bringing it into the consciousness so that you have a conscious choice around your anger rather than just shoving, 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 and then resentment, 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 rage, 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 and then all of a sudden I blow up at the person crossing the crosswalk for no reason. Yeah, projection. <laughs> what message verbally would you give to your 12-year-old self? You got this. I'm with you. Keep trusting yourself and following what feels good. I love that. Follow what feels good is my mantra. Mm-hmm. I like try to live by that daily. Love it. Thank you so much, Karina. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. <laughs> At For Women Who Roar, we believe if you are a storyteller, then you are an advocate. And if you are a listener, then you're also an advocate. Thank you for being here and roaring alongside of us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast for the latest and show us some love through the reviews. I hope these stories inspire you as much as they've inspired me. Thank you and keep roaring, friends. Day.